Hello and welcome to the Auditory Chronicles podcast, a monthly program bringing you short tales for your listening pleasure. I'm your host, John McKenzie. In this episode, we bring you an adaptation of a short story published in 1914. We begin with a condemned prisoner as his time is running out. Five Hours Away, adapted from a short story by Keen Thompson. Templeton paced his cell in the death house. It was midnight, he knew. That meant five hours more. Only five hours. To and fro, to and fro, he tramped the narrow confines of that cage of iron bars and concrete. It was all over with him. This was the finish. Templeton's face was haggard as he confronted the realization that he had come to the end of his rope. The law was going to have its way with him after all. There was nothing now that could save him. Five hours left. Something like a groan escaped him. Three hundred minutes, and already one of them had gone. On the silence, the measured tread of his own footsteps rang loudly in his ears. But what was the matter with them all? His fellow prisoners caged about him, and the guards in the corridor outside, all asleep at a time like this? Didn't they know he was going away? That in just a little space of time, a human being was to die against his will? Then it flashed upon him. They were not sleeping. Outside, there, a score of ears were straining expectantly to catch the first hint of his breaking down. That was the true explanation of the silence. He wanted to meet their expectations, to scream out, beating the walls around him, to give way utterly to the panic that was rising within him. It seemed that he must cry aloud for someone to come and let him out of this trap, to stop the machinery of justice that was inevitably, if slowly, grinding toward his doom. A mistake was being made, didn't they know that? Couldn't they see it? Unless a halt were called soon now, before it was too late. He set his jaws against the impulse to shatter the nerve-wracking silence with a shrieking out of his inward terror. No, no, by heaven, that Templeton iron nerve of which the newspapers had made so much during the weeks and months of his trial he would keep to the end. As it was a certainty that he had to go, it might as well be gamely. This, he told himself, would be a fitting climax to the fight he had made. And yet to die. His brows met. Was there no way out still? Back over the ground he had covered a thousand times before his mind went, seeking a single possible loophole of escape. He began with the day of his arrest. His employer, the millionaire whose lawyer he had been, found dead in his chair in the library of his home. There was a small round hole in his forehead where the thirty-eight bullet had gone. And the police, when they came to search Templeton's rooms, had found a thirty-eight caliber revolver there. This, with the circumstance that he, John Templeton, had been the last one seen with the old gentleman on the night of the latter's death, had been sufficient to cause the detectives to lead him away to jail. Circumstantial evidence. That was all it had been. With a plea of not guilty, he had entered upon the trial with every confidence of an acquittal. And they had convicted him. Then the real battle had begun. In a signed statement, which the papers had been only too glad to print, he had sworn to his innocence again, and promised the public that he would prove the fact, too. He had claimed himself the victim of persecution and mistrial. An appeal had been made for a new trial, and, after due deliberation, the right had been denied him. Next, he had appealed to the governor. Only that morning, the day set for his execution, word had come that the governor had refused to intervene. In vain. And there died his last hope. It was the end. 
There was no chance for Templeton left after that. He knew it. Surely as the rising of the sun, he was going to be led down that corridor outside, accompanied by two or three guards and a priest, to the little door which would open and close just once behind him. But oh, for a chance, a single ghost of one chance more. Abruptly, Templeton swung around in his tracks to face the door of his cell. The rattle of a key in the lock had drawn his attention there, and now, before his eyes, the door swung slowly open. Into the cell stepped a man, a stranger to Templeton. This individual's appearance was decidedly quaint. Short in stature, with a bulging forehead and a pair of eyeglasses riding far down on his long, thin nose, he bore a striking resemblance to the mental picture that is summoned up whenever one hears of an aged scientist or student recluse. The man's clothes were ordinary, indeed shabby on the closer inspection which Templeton gave to this odd visitor. But if the latter was aware of the existence of this cell's occupant, he gave no sign of it as he moved across the tiny space to the iron cot and silently seated himself. Still utterly ignoring Templeton, from an inner pocket of his threadbare coat, the little man drew a packet of papers, taped and sealed. These he proceeded to arrange on top of the cot beside him with business-like precision. Then, for the first time, he looked sharply up over the rims of his glasses at Templeton. Your name, said the stranger curtly, is John Templeton. How this man had been able to get in here at a time like this when all communication with the outside world was denied him, Templeton did not stop to question. His heart was beating wildly, yes, with a sudden hope. That is correct, he replied to the other's question. Member of the New York Bar, went on the little man, snapping out the words. Late of 200 Nassau Street, advisor in the legal affairs of the late John C. Price, millionaire cotton broker, murdered on the night of the 24th of August last? Templeton steadied himself by drawing in a deep breath. I am the man, he said simply. Placed under arrest? Here the visitor paused for a fraction of a minute while he consulted one of the spread out papers beside him. On September 2nd, charged with the willful homicide of the aforesaid Price, your employer, convicted eight months later to the day? Appeal for a retrial denied? Date of execution set for the week that began two days ago? Templeton leaned forward. I am the man, he repeated tensely. And now, your business? The caller leaned back. He cradled one knee in his clasped hands. Templeton swallowed audibly over the rising lump in his throat. His hands were working at his sides. John Templeton, he went on matter-of-factly. You are going to die at sunrise, which is less than five hours away. You know as well as I that you do not stand the remotest chance of escaping the chair down the hall outside there. You are done for, to speak frankly. Well, what would you say if I should tell you that there is still one way in which you can be exonerated? Then it was true. Now the beating of his heart all but shut off Templeton's breath. A way had been found at last to get released. But was he dreaming? No, it was true. That's what the man himself had just said. For God's sake, tell me, blurted the prisoner. What is it? A new suspect found by the police to make another trial of the case necessary? Oh, speak out. The older man shook his head seriously. Nothing like that, he said. Templeton fairly panted. Then a pardon from the governor. He's changed his mind. You are wrong, put in the other. You are on the wrong track altogether. I will explain. No one... Nothing on the outside has anything to do with getting your release. That rests entirely with you. Do you understand? The means of gaining your freedom is in your own hands. Now perhaps you know what I mean. 
A moment, Templeton stared down at the odd gentleman before him, undecided whether to doubt his caller's sanity or his own. No, he said dully. I don't... don't follow you. It's like this, the other went on. You do not want to die, you say. You want to leave here free, your own man. I tell you, it is all up to you whether you do so or not. You have only to do one thing. That is all. Templeton drew himself up. One thing, he repeated. What is it? Don't keep me in suspense. What have I got to do? The stranger regarded him in silence over the rims of his glasses for a moment or two. Tell me the truth, he replied. Templeton bowed quietly. He stood at attention. Are you guilty of this crime? asked the man. Or innocent? I am innocent, Templeton answered. The caller leaned back, taking his knee in his hands once more. You understand that you are standing in the shadow of death, he remarked. That this is no time to palter with the truth. Now, once more, the truth itself this time. I tell you, cried Templeton, that I am innocent. Innocent. The older man was looking him through and through. So, you didn't murder the old gentleman, he said slowly. You weren't after the legacy he had put down for you in his will as was afterward brought out in the trial? You didn't want his money at the price of an employer and benefactor's life? Templeton's teeth could be heard grinding as he held himself in. I tell you again, he grated, I am innocent. Once more there was a pause. I'll give you one more chance, announced the stranger on the edge of the cot. For your life, tell me the truth. Now which is it, guilty or innocent? Remember, this is your last chance. Beads of perspiration were rolling down Templeton's face. His lips twitched. Into his eyes had crept a haunted look akin to the light of madness as he hesitated before his inquisitor. Then he burst forth. In pity's name, put an end to this. I am innocent. Innocent. Why would I lie at a time like this? Do you think I am a fool? I take you at your word. You say you can set me free if I tell you the truth, and I have told it to you. Three times. What more can I do than that? I never killed him. I am guiltless as you are yourself. I swear it. He gasped for breath. Now get me out of here, and quick before I go stark mad. Time is slipping by. There's not too much of it to spare as it is. How do you get me out of here? But the bespectacled man gathering up his papers from the cot had risen, preparing to depart. I thought, he said, stopping to throw another one of his piercing glances at Templeton's face, that I might be of service to you. I see now that I was wrong. Under the strain, Templeton's overstrung nerves at last gave way. Innocent, do you hear? He shouted. That's what I swear. I'll stick to it. Innocent. Innocent. And then the visitor began to laugh mockingly as he stood before the condemned man. Staring at him abruptly, Templeton threw his arms up against the stone wall, burying his face on his sleeves. All a trick, he groaned. There is no hope. It was all done just to mock me. Oh, the cruelty. There was the sound behind him of the iron door opening. Templeton wheeled quickly to find that he stood alone in the cell. The strange old man had vanished as though the floor had opened up to swallow him. A guard stood on the threshold. We're ready for you, he said simply. Beyond the turnkey in the corridor showed the first gray of the coming dawn. Templeton's time was up. And his visitor, the man who had come to save him? Staring wildly around him, suddenly the prisoner fell upon his knees. He stretched out his hands past the waiting guard in the doorway. Come back, he cried. You want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. I did it. His voice rose to a shriek. I am guilty. Come back. For God's sake, come back and save me from this. 
I'm guilty. Guilty. Templeton raved on, his mind broken down from the strain. Babbling half incoherently, he knelt there, appealing to the strange man who had never existed outside of his shattered imagination, the phantom conjured up in his overburdened brain before its final snapping. The guard was used to seeing condemned prisoners take it hard at the end. He stepped back into the corridor and, beckoning to two of his fellows, brought them into the cell. They dragged Templeton to his feet by main strength. And so they led him away down the shadowy hall, his cries growing fainter and fainter, until at last the little door at the corridor's end closed noiselessly behind him. We hope you've enjoyed our presentation of Five Hours Away, adapted from the short story Confession by Keen Thompson, as read by J.T. Be sure to join us next month for our season finale as we look forward to bringing you our original tale, A House for Rent. In the meantime, feel free to visit our website at auditorychronicles.com for more information about the show, as well as links to our Twitter feed and Facebook page. For Auditory Chronicles, I'm John McKenzie. Thanks for listening.